why don't we bow our heads as we dive into the teaching for today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what an honor is ours to be gathered as a family. All those physically in the space as well as all those that are gathered online. We pray that you would just continue to fill this space, those places wherever your people are gathered online with your spirit. Just bless us as your word is taught. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So have you ever had a goal that is so big that you knew that you would just have to reorient most of the things in your life in order to accomplish that goal? Have you ever had a goal that large before? Okay, so it was the fall of 2011, and I had just kind of recently come on the team there at Pioneer Memorial Church on the campus of Andrews University, and I walked into one of our pastoral staff meetings a little bit early there to find our senior pastor, Pastor Dwight Nelson, and your former lead pastor, Michael Getz, sitting there talking about the sport of running. And I can't remember what it was that I said. I mean, I just sat down and I'm just listening to them because I was not a runner. And I can't remember what it was that I said about running. It must have been some kind of weak objection, probably, as to why I was not running. Because Pastor Dwight finally turned to me and said, Rodley, look, just get some shoes and start running. So like a good associate pastor, I clicked my heels, I saluted, I bought the cheapest running shoes that I could find, and I signed up for my very next, my very first race, the very next 5K turkey trot that happens around, you know, Thanksgiving, probably all across the country. And in fact, I have an archaeological artifact from that particular day. We've got these, this picture on the screen. I want to show it for you. That was me moments before we started this 5K turkey trot race. Don't I look pumped and excited? I mean, what does the scripture say? Like a lamb led to the slaughter, something like that? Yeah, that was me. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But I was excited. I was definitely excited. And I've got a friend, uh, the next picture of my, one of my best friends, Casey Anilobechi. We ran it together. We were hyped. And that's what we did. So I completed this 5K turkey trot race, my first race ever. And so after I finished that race, I knew that I was just ready for the next level. What would the next level be for me? A 10K race, perhaps? That would have been a good suggestion. A half marathon? Too pedestrian for me. Nope. I signed up for the one and only Chicago Marathon. Straight from just being a baby runner and doing a 5K race. That's it. But look, one thing that my wife knows about me and my close friends know about me is that once I get into something, I kind of verge on obsessing about stuff. And so I began reading every book that I could find about running. I began watching videos about running. I began literally taking videos of myself running. And for the, any runners in here, by the way, all right, I know, I know Dan Turk. Okay, some other ones are hardcore runners. There you go. So I began analyzing the gait of my gait as I'm running to make sure I'm landing forefoot, midfoot. You know, I got one of these little clickers so you can run at 180 steps per minute. You know, the running world is very deep and very intense and a lot of stuff. I was going in all the way. 
all right? I was training for the Chicago Marathon. I wanted to go all the way. So here I am, I'm doing this training regimen, and on, on the weekends, of course, you do a long run, and I'm getting now, it's now about six weeks till the Chicago Marathon, all right? Six weeks to go, I'm excited, I do a 15-mile training run, and I remember the next day I felt a little touch of pain in my right foot. Huh. But you know, if you're a runner, you're just kind of like, okay, no big deal. You, don't, you know, you, you feel little aches and things every once in a while. You ice it down. So I said, okay, I'm going to do what I always do. Not that big of a deal. I wasn't particularly concerned. I ice it down. I do an ice bath. But then the next day, the pain gets a little bit worse. Huh, okay, that's, that's a little weird. Uh, no big deal. I'm sure everything will be fine. So I just, you know, keep icing it down. And now I take a few days to rest from running and then the day after that it got a little bit worse and that's when I suspected that maybe it was worse than I thought. So I go to my family doctor, he says, I don't know what's going on in your foot, you need to see a specialist. Fast forward a few weeks, I'm there in the office of the specialist. He had, de- he had done, I think, a CAT scan or something and I'm looking at this screen and he puts forth this indecipherable diagnosis. And I said, look, doctor, just make it plain for me, please. Here's the the bottom line. I mean, can I run this race or not? Here's what he said. He said, well, Rodley, I mean, you could run the race and possibly be okay, but more likely than not, if you try to do this marathon, you could very likely end up fracturing your foot. Because it was kind of like this hairline almost, or the the stage right before a hairline fracture right there that was happening in my foot, apparently. So that was it. I had to pull out of the race. I couldn't risk it. I was stopped from running the race before I could even start. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been stopped from running a metaphorical race before you've even got the opportunity to start. You know, maybe I'm talking to one of our students here this morning and you've been pumped about being here at Campion Academy for all of your four years or maybe you transferred in as a sophomore and you're saying, sweet, I'm going to be able to be here for three years, but all of a sudden you're hearing rumblings from your families. They've hit a financial roadblock and they're saying all of a sudden, I don't know if you're going to be able to graduate from there. You're, You're maybe being stopped from completing the race that you've been wanting to go on, or maybe you're a professional and maybe you got a job offer that you were very excited about in a different city, maybe it was here in the same city, and right before you were going to start, you get the bad news, budget cuts have hit. They're rescinding the offer. You're stopped from running the race you wanted to run before you could even start. You know, Did you know that in the Bible, God uses the metaphor of running as a metaphor to describe God's ultimate will for our lives? It's true. I want you to check out this verse in 2 Timothy. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, running the race of life and crossing into the heavenly Canaan is God's ultimate will for our lives. That's good news, yes or no? Yeah, that's definitely good news, but let me share with you some bad news that the devil also has a plan and purpose for your life. Hope you're not hearing that for the first time, but it's true. I mean, what does the scripture say in John chapter 10 where the devil, the thief, does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's literally the devil's purpose and plan for your life. He wants to do everything in his power to stop you from crossing into the heavenly Canaan. By the way, in case you're just joining us here today, we're actually continuing, we're in part two of a sermon series called What God Can Do Through Ordinary You. We actually started it last week where we're looking at these snapshots of the life of Moses. And today we're looking at the subtle strategy of the enemy to stop you. And in order to do that, we're going to investigate this case study. We're going to look at the strategy that the devil used to stop the Israelites from crossing over into the earthly Canaan. But before we do that, I want to share with you just a little bit of context. We're going to zoom out to 40,000 feet. Here's some theological context for the main story that we're going to look at in just a few moments. The truth is that the devil was scared. There's Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abram. God had called out Abram and said, I am choosing you. And out of you, a nation will come, will be born, and the purpose for that nation will be to be missionaries to the entire planet. Are you with me? So this is the promise that God made to Abram. Fast forward several hundred years now to Exodus chapter 19. God has fulfilled his promise because there in front of Mount Sinai is this group of recently freed slaves. They're standing before the mountain of God and God is, is offering them this opportunity to be his people, to be his nation. And of course, God mentions the terms of the agreement, the covenant. He says, look, I want you guys to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was the terms of the agreement. Here's what I want of you guys, and you remember their response. They said, okay, yes, sir. All that the Lord has said, we will do. So they're signing on to the agreement. They're signing on to the covenant. They said, yes, we want to be a holy nation unto you, to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so here now is this other stage. The devil is seeing the promise being accomplished, and he is absolutely terrified. So now, fast forward to our scripture that we're going to jump into today. And the devil sees that God keeps fulfilling his promise. And he says, I've got to do everything possible to stop these people. All right, we're going to jump into the story now. Numbers chapter 13, beginning verse 17. Numbers chapter 13, beginning verse 17. I want to invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles. And the Bible says, Then Moses 
set them to spy out the land of Canaan. And said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains. See what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor. Whether there are forests there. not, And be of good courage and bring some fruit of the land. So here he sends off these 12 elders of Israel, these 12 scouts unto the land. They crisscross the land in this 500-mile track. They're examining, they're preparing a full report. And finally, at the end of 40 days, they come back bearing some fruit based on what he had been told, and they have this report. Notice what he says, verse 27. Then they told him, Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, we went to the land where you sent us, it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. I imagine the pause for dramatic effect. The crowd goes wild. I imagine them, everybody in the congregation, they're high-fiving, they're jumping in the air and chest-biting in celebration. I mean, they're just absolutely ecstatic because they're seeing the size of this Canaanite fruit. And they're saying, man, if the grapes are this large, can you imagine how amazing life is going to be there? Boy, truly it is the land flowing with milk and honey. So they're bringing back, so far so good, this really amazing report. Ah, but then the report continues. Verse 28. Um, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Dun, dun, dun. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Did you catch it? Did you catch what the subtle strategy of the enemy is? We've got it here on the screen. The subtle strategy of the enemy, the most powerful weapon in his arsenal, When he absolutely, positively has got to stop you, he uses discouragement. Have you ever noticed that in your life? By the way, it's a theological principle, in case you're not believing me, it's a theological principle that we see time and time again, that when the devil has to stop somebody, he pulls out this weapon of discouragement. You remember that story in Matthew chapter 16? Jesus is describing to his disciples that he's about to go into Jerusalem and that he's going to suffer and that he's going to die and thankfully he's going to resurrect. And do you remember Peter's response? He says, never, Lord. He says, this shall never happen to you. Absolutely. If I'm by your side, if I'm your wingman, Lord, I will not allow this to happen. And do you remember Jesus' response? He said, get thee behind me, Peter. Come on, help me, church. Is that what he said? No, he said, get thee behind me, 
Satan. Why did he say that? Well, here's why. It's the strategy, the subtle strategy of the devil. When the devil really wants to stop you from accomplishing your mission, he uses people to discourage you. And so here's Jesus. He's sharing about his mission to go into Jerusalem. The devil says, nah. I've got to do everything in my power. So I'm going to influence Peter such that he is going to discourage Jesus. That's why Jesus responded in that way. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he knew who was actually behind that discouragement. In fact, I want to delve a little bit deeper into the strategy. And I want to share with you that there's actually two different kinds of discouragers that the devil sends into your life. This is the first one, and we'll hold the screen there, please. The first one is this. When the devil really wants to discourage you, he sends people who focus on the same facts that you have, but they focus on the negative potential. We'll leave that on the screen, please. So there's people who focus on the same facts, but they obsess over the negative potential. So again, notice these three realities in their report. You tell me if they were being truthful so far, yes or no. All right? You got to help me. All right. They said that the people are strong and powerful, that they're warlike. Was this true? Yes or no? This was true. It's a true report. Okay. What about this? They said that the cities are fortified and very large. Was that true? Yes or no? It's true. Okay, how about this one? They said, by the way, the descendants of Anak are there. By the way, Goliath was a descendant of Anak, according to the scripture. Was this true? Yes or no? So, there are people that look at the same facts that you have. So, this was a factual report, but what do they do? They focus on the negative potential. None of what they said was actually a lie. But I want you to notice the very different response of somebody that's filled with faith. I want you to notice the very different response of Caleb. We know that they gave a factual report because Caleb did not actually try to rebut any of the facts. Notice what he said. Numbers chapter 13 verse 30. The Bible says, then Caleb silenced the people because they're starting to complain. They're starting to moan. They're already getting discouraged. He says, y'all hush up. I've got a word for you from the Lord. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. In other words, for Joshua, for Caleb, the greater the challenge, the greater the opportunity for God to manifest his power. He did not dispute. He did not rebut the facts one iota. He says, yes, everything that they said is true. And that is why we should go up right now to take up the land. Yes, it's filled with giants. Yes, it seems impossible. And that's why we ought to be a people of faith. Let us march in by faith. Let's take it right now. Why? 
because they knew that the, the greater the challenge, the greater the opportunity for God to manifest his power and his presence. Oh, but when the devil really wants to stop you, when he really wants to prevent the people of God from accomplishing their mission, he lets forth these stealth weapons, the most subtle weapons in his arsenal. He sends people who focus on the same facts as you, but they focus on the negative potential. They're people who just always negative. And here's what I want to tell you today, friends, that whenever God is getting ready to do something big in your life, God is going to send discouragers to you. He's going to send haters into your life. Whenever God is getting ready to do something big for the people of God, God sends discouragers, God sends haters. Because he knows that if you figure out and intersect with the purpose and the plans for which you are created, he knows that his kingdom will fall. He knows that if the people of God intersect with the purpose for which they were called and they begin stepping into their calling, stepping into their anointing, he knows that if they receive that and walk boldly in faith, his kingdom will certainly fall. He says, no. I'm going down with the ship, but I cannot allow this to happen. I've got to send discouragers their way. So the devil will send people into your life to discourage you, to stop you from accomplishing your mission. He'll whisper into your ear, there's no way you can do that. He'll whisper into your ear, you don't have enough money to accomplish that dream that God has put in your heart. Don't you know that you're just not smart enough to do what you really want to do? You're just a student, what do you know? You're just a woman, what can you do? You're just a man. Whenever the devil really wants to stop you. I promise you, and I'm sure you've noticed this in your own life, he will send haters into your life. He will send discouragers into your life to stop you from accomplishing your mission. You know, I have a confession to make. I'm not particularly proud of this, but it is what it is. I am what they would call one of the kind of OG Facebook people, right? I mean, I was one of the first people to sign up for Facebook. In fact, this is for the people that go way back with me. I joined Facebook when you had to have a .edu email address. Does anybody even remember that? Anybody at all? Okay, I saw one or two hands go up. Okay, all right. So back in the day, it was only for college students. You had to have a college address.edu. That's when I joined. Yes, I'm weird. Now, I don't know if you've noticed people like this in your life. Look, as, as a pastor, I try to be as patient as I can with people, right? I think it's in my job description or something, and, well, oh, you're a pastor, you need... All right. 
So I remember there's one guy in particular, though, on Facebook, a Facebook friend, and I would post the most seemingly neutral thing, and he would somehow find some negative thing in it, and somehow he would critique it. I mean, it could literally be a Bible verse that I posted, and he would somehow, and this is a Christian guy, by the way. You know, this is a, a, a Christian brother. By the way, have you noticed that when the devil really wants to get you, he doesn't go for wicked people most of the time. He uses church folk oftentimes. Did you hear what I just said? Sometimes when he really wants to discourage you, he doesn't send you people that you don't know. He doesn't send you people that are unbelievers. He sends you church folk. He said, I'm going to use Peter to discourage Jesus. And by the way, church, be on the guard when the devil wants to use you to discourage other people. He said, no, I'm, I'm not going to let the devil use me for his, to accomplish his purposes and his mission. All right, back to the Facebook story. It, it could be a Bible verse. And I couldn't ever imagine how somebody could find some kind of negative tilt to it, but somehow this brother would find it, right? And, and he would somehow critique me. And here I am time and time again. I'm just trying to be patient with this guy. I'm just trying to be as patient as I can with him. And then finally one day, I made a decision. I, I came to terms and I came to peace with the reality that I need to cut out negative people from my life. So I found the unfollow button on Facebook, wherever it was, you know, it was harder in those days. And I looked for it, and it was hard. Believe you me, I hit unfollow. And I remember stepping back, and I was like, oh, what did I just do? Can pastors unfollow people? But I did. Some of you need to unfollow some people in your life. Some of you need to be cutting out some people in your life. Look, let me just be real with you. There are people in your life that are not journeying with you into the heavenly Canaan. They're not being a brother to you on that journey. They're not being a sister for you in that version. They're not being a good uncle or auntie for you in that version on that path towards the heavenly Canaan. They're discouraging you. Have you noticed that? And look, we ought to be patient with people, but yes, I do believe there comes a time if there's people that are just constantly bringing you down and they're not leading you towards Jesus but away from him, I think there comes a time you just need to cut those people out of your life. Because look, the truth is when the devil really wants to discourage you, he sends people who focus on the same fact, the people who focus on the same facts, but they they focus on the negative potential of it. Here's one more. Here's the second kind of discourager that he sends in to your life. We've got it here on the screen. They're people who exaggerate and lie. People who exaggerate and lie. Back to the story, Numbers chapter 13, verse 32. The Bible says, And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explore devours those living in it. Now, I, I looked up that verse in the CEV, the Contemporary English Version. I want you to notice how it's phrased in this particular version. It says, then they started spreading rumors. 
and saying, we won't be able to grow anything in that soil. What? Just a few moments ago, don't you remember? Just a few moments ago, they were saying, oh, it's a land that flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. But all of a sudden, they're focusing on the negative potential. They're getting distracted, and all of a sudden, now they're saying, no, it's, it's bad soil. You're not going to be able to grow anything there. In fact, the land devours its people. And then they continue, verse 32. It says, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sights. Please notice this. Before, they were just giants. Right? Before, they were just giants. And, you know, you could say that, that a giant was 12 or 13 feet tall, but now they're taking it to the next level. Now they're mega giants. Now they're 50 feet tall, because notice how they're exaggerating the proportions. They're saying, look, we were as grasshoppers in their sight. So it's not just that they were 12 or 13 foot giants. They're, they're exaggerating the proportions. They're saying, y'all, they were like 50 foot giants. We should definitely not go there. You see, the devil loves to send people into your life who they exaggerate and lie. So that's his bread and butter. That's what the devil loves to do day in, day out, 24-7, 365. You'll never overcome that sin. That giant is too big. You will never be the person that God wants you to be. You just mess up too much. You will never do anything significant for God. You just don't have what it takes. He tries to discourage you, to stop you from accomplishing the mission. So the subtle strategy, it's discouragement. Did it work? We don't have to guess. It worked. Notice, turn to Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 now. The Bible says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Let me ask you a question. Is it a sin to be momentarily discouraged or to experience discouragement? Is that a sin? No. It's not. We're humans. We experience stuff. Sometimes bad things happen. You remember that scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. The Bible says, Then David and all the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. You remember that story? Their wives, their children, their property was stolen. And the Bible says they, they cried until they had no more strength to cry. They were discouraged. So look, it's not a sin to be discouraged. But we cannot remain there. Look, I might be speaking to a teacher or a staff member here in our campus community. 
and you work so hard day in, day out. Sometimes there's good days, sometimes there's bad days. You're doing your best and maybe you don't, you, maybe you feel like you don't have all the resources that you actually need to accomplish your mission. You might be feeling a little bit discouraged. So here's the question, what do we do? I mean, we've heard now about this subtle strategy about, that the devil loves to use, but what do we actually do about it? I want to share with you two principles. This is how we counteract this strategy of the devil. And we've got it on the screen. The first way that we counteract it is this. We, number one, we claim the promises of God. And I want you to notice how this took place in the heart of Caleb and Joshua. I'm going to read a scripture you're hearing, Exodus chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The Bible says, this is God's command to Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel and together say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me, saying, I've surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And now listen to the promise that God delivered to Moses to give to the elders of Israel. He says, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Guess what? Caleb and Joshua were there. Guess what else? Those other 10 scouts were also there and heard that promise being delivered from God to Moses to them. But in that moment of discouragement, those 10 negative scouts forgot the promises of God. So look, here's here's the first strategy to counteract this subtle strategy of the devil to stop you. Here's the first strategy. You claim the promises of God in your life. And by the way, I'm not talking about, oh, when that time of testing comes, let me see if I can find a Bible nearby me. If, look, if, if that's all you can do, fine, do that. Oh, but you know the, the best way is, you know what the most effective way is to constantly be internalizing the Word of God. So when that moment of discouragement comes, you you just claim it. It's inside of you already. It's inside of you. You claim it, that promise of God. So when the devil tells you that you will never have victory, when the devil tells you that you will never crawl out of that dark hole of discouragement and depression, You quote, well, say, well, my Bible says, Psalm chapter 40, verse 2, the Bible says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. You claim the promises of God when you're in that moment of discouragement. Because here's the word that I want to deliver today to you, my friends. That the devil can try to delay you, the devil can try to discourage you, the devil can try to to stop you, but I want to encourage you, I want to claim for you based on the authority of the Word of God and the power of Jesus that he will not stop you from crossing into the heavenly Canaan. 
You claim that by faith. Do not let anyone take your crown. So when those times of discouragement come, you claim the promises of God and you move forward in faith. But here's the second strategy. Here's the second principle to counteract this subtle strategy of the devil. You become faithful in the small areas of your life. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, the Bible says, Jesus said, he who is faithful in very little, do you remember this verse? He who is faithful in very little will also be faithful in much. In other words, he's giving this metaphor of a steward, and this is just how things work in the economy of God, that God will send us little opportunities for us to be obedient. He will send us little opportunities so that we can learn to follow him by faith. By the way, when he called his disciples, what did he tell them? He, says, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't start with saying, I'm going to give a workshop on how to be fishers of men. He said, your number one, your primary responsibility is just to follow me. You just learn to walk with me and you just learn to obey me. And so look, God will send you little opportunities in your life, yes, in which your faith will be tested, and which you have to decide, am I going to follow God in this seemingly small area of my life, or am I going to ignore it? And here's how it works, friends. I'm just letting you know. I'm just being real with you. If you learn to be faithful in those small areas of your life, do you know what God does? He says, ah, there's somebody that I can give a little more responsibility to in my mission. If you fail that small task, he'll say, okay, we, we, we still have to let this one cook a little bit. I'm not giving up on this one, but they, they need a little bit more time to cook. They're, they're not ready yet for the assignment that I have prepared for them. But when we learn to become obedient in the small areas of our life, all of a sudden God says, look, okay, this man, this woman, this teenager, this student, now I'm ready, now I am freed to expand their territory. Before I could not, but now I am ready. Why? Oh, because they've, they've learned to become faithful in the small areas of their life. So God says, now I can give them more responsibility. I wonder if there's anybody here today who might be in that valley right now. That valley of discouragement. By the way, I just want to remind you, you know, the, the Bible, the psalmist, Psalm 23, he said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you're in that place of discouragement, when you're in that dark place, you don't camp there. You don't stop there. Those dark places are not meant to be abodes. The presence of God is meant to be our abode. When you're in that valley of discouragement, when you're in that dark valley, by faith, based on the promises and the authority of the word of God, you keep marching on in faith. You just keep moving through. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's saying, I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to keep marching through. 
But I wonder if there's anybody here today that just finds themselves, anybody watching online, maybe they're finding themselves in that valley of discouragement for whatever reason. And I just want to give you a simple invitation, and I want to pray for you. So number one, I wonder if there's anybody here that simply wants to say, God, be with me and deliver me from discouragement. Anybody want to ask for that? Those in the balcony for those watching online saying, God, just, just I need you to deliver me from discouragement, from this phase that I'm in right now. God bless you. And look, who else then wants to say, God, help me to base my life on the promises of God? How many want to make that commitment, ask that of God as well? Help me to base my life on the promises of God. Amen. God bless you. Let me pray for you right now. Let's just bow our heads wherever we are. Father in heaven, thank you for this reminder. I mean, for one, we want to shine light upon these evil strategies of the devil. We're not going to let him get away with his stuff. We're going to shine light on it in the name of Jesus. So we're seeing how the devil loves to use discouragement. Oh, Father, but I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just be with every single person that lifted up their hands today, with every single person that said, God, deliver me, block me, keep them away from me, these discouragers that the devil is trying to send into my life. And for those that just might be deep in that space right now, Father, I pray that you would grant them power in the name of Jesus, that you would rebuke the devil from them, and that you would lift those dark clouds from them in the name of Jesus. Finally, Father, for those that said, I want to live my life based on the promises of God, oh, Father, I pray that that would be for every single one of us as well, that we would fill our hearts with your promises and that we would live by faith and not by sight, even though there's giants all around us. We believe that promise. That you've prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. We believe that promise that though the journey seems dark, you are with us no matter where we go. So right now we simply praise you for being a good God. Right now we, we praise you and we give you all the honor and the glory and we thank you for hearing and answering these prayers. In the name of Jesus, amen. to do this. 
Join us standing, family. Here we go. You'll hear your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answer prayers back. You will answer now. You are the same God.
the Holy Spirit. Almighty river, come and fill me again. Come and fill me again. Come and fill me our heads. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now and forevermore, let all the church say.